Hello, I'm Charles Clausen, your host of the Ampex Podcast, a show where we engage in conversations with entrepreneurs and innovators whose wild ideas and exponential thinking are reshaping the universe where we live, play, and work. I believe these powerful conversations will inspire you to pursue your dreams. Hello, I'm Charles Clausen, host of the Ampex Podcast, a show where we explore innovation and wild ideas from people who are reshaping the universe where we live, work, and play. Today, we're very excited to have Paul Kalina. Foremost, Paul's a clown, <laughs> an innovator in theater. He co-created, co-founded 500 Clowns, a theater company in Chicago, where he's participated in, in over 500 shows around, around the country, including Macbeth, Frankenstein, A Christmas Story, and The Elephant. Paul's also the head of theater and movement at the University of Iowa. Good morning, Paul. Morning. Well, I think we should start out with the, the early days and what got you inspired to get into acting, theater, becoming a clown, and kind of how you got to, to where you are today. Survival. Um, you know, I just kind of found my way. Honestly, I, I was never, I wasn't one of those kids who was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. I just kind of fell into theater. Uh, I grew up in a large Catholic family. So we have six kids. I was number five. So we had to fight for attention. So I think, you know, and I, and my grandfather was extremely animated storyteller. Um, and I think I just, through having to fight for attention, uh, kind of found my way to being kind of a clown. I was kind of a portly kid. So I was bullied later on and I found it was easier for me to fall down the stairs than to get pushed down the stairs or take my own head into the locker than have someone put my head into the locker. So I just started doing antics in that and um, make people laugh just to, as really kind of a survival. And then I just fell into theater in junior high. I did my first play and I was like, oh, I, I kind of like this. And I stayed with it through high school. And then it came time to go to college and I was like, well, what am I going to do? I don't know what I want to do for the rest of my life. Because back in the 80s, you needed to know what you were going to do the rest of your life. But when you went to college, and I was like, I don't know, what's the thing I do? Uh, I do theater. So I ended up, luckily, not knowing anything or where to look. I fell into Illinois State. And at that time, what we called the triumphant, which were three teachers who all were teachers for the Steppenwolf Theater Company. A lot of the founders for Steppenwolf a lot of movie actors at that time uh, had come through that program. And so I just luckily uh, fell into a place where, you know, the training was, was quite good. Uh, and then I just stayed with it. Over time, you know, theater was really kind of the thing. I was also, well, I came from a very dysfunctional family. And I also had suffered some pretty big trauma when I was a kid. So theater kind of in an unknown to me became sort of this refuge, this place where I could play, where I could explore, but I also started to have me face myself. In actor training, right? It's living truthfully through imaginary circumstances. 
But if you're really being, if you're not being honest with yourself, if you've created this illusion, an image of self, and you try to play from that place on stage, it's, it's not going to be successful. It's, it's, you look at it and you go, whew, you know, that person's acting a lot. Right. You know, and so that was the beginning of kind of a self exploration and self uh, really looking at what made me who I am. Who am I and who the heck am I? And so through that, I, um, I started that journey and started to unpack all of that stuff. And through, you know, I, I, after that, I went to Idaho for a while, worked in a children's theater, um, toured the entire West, loved it, ended up back in Chicago, was acting for a while. And I was working with people on stage who were amazing. They were really talented actors. And I was looking at them going, wow, they're so good. And I can feel and hear it inside, but I, something's keeping me from getting there. What is it? I don't know. You know what? I think I'm gonna go back to school. I'm gonna go study physical theater because I did this mask show, this comedia show when I was in Idaho. It was really successful. I had a blast doing it. So I'm gonna go study Commedia dell'arte, maybe go live in Italy. <laughs> that was my quest. So I went out to uh, dell'arte International School of physical theater in uh, Blue Lake, California, up in the Redwoods. Studied up there, and that's where I found clown. And I did not want to study clown. I didn't want anything to do with clown. I asked, can I leave for the five weeks that clown is happening? I'll go to San Francisco and hang out. They're like, no. And to my great surprise, it was the form I fell in love with. It was the form that actually brought me to what I was looking for, which was the ultimate truth. Because clown in its essence, for my belief, I mean, there are many clowns that have their belief in what clown is, but in the end, it's really kind of taken us back to that time when we were children, before we were self-conscious in the world, before we realized we're being judged, looked at, you know, um, thought, cute, funny, um, clumsy, whatever. It's that time when we do the things where you watch the child and they pick up the knife and you're like, yeah, you know, the clown does that all the time. The clown walks off, you know, the, to the edge of the cliff. We see it in Bugs Bunny, right? You know, Bugs Bunny walks off the cliff or, you know, the coyote runs off the cliff and looks both ways. It goes, yikes, he falls, but the roadrunner keeps going on. You know, I mean, it's, that's the world of clown. And, um, but it requires you to be, totally honest and brutally honest, to be quite honest. I mean, to be honest, to be honest. Uh, my, the first time I finally had my breakthrough, I was out for 40 minutes floundering and dying. And my teacher was just from the sides going, no, you're a liar. Why are you come out here and lie to us? Go away, come back in. You know, 40 minutes of that until finally I had a breakthrough. So how did that feel when you're out there and you're struggling? It's and miserable. It's miserable. <laughs> it's, it's, every clown has it too. You take new material out and you're like, we are dying. And it's miserable. But at the same time, it's exciting. It's really exciting because you, you are very much alive. You feel it. Uh, and you're alone. You know, and you're like, how do I get through this? And you have this relationship with the audience and you find your way through. And then you look at the work and you retool it and you come back and you try it again and through trial and error eventually you build this routine 
mean, the great clowns had just a handful of routines that they refined constantly. And the, you know, the five minutes became 10 minutes, became 20 minutes, became 30 minutes. And that's, you know, and it's constantly refined. You know, George Burns, there was an old vaudeville saying, George Burns would say, make your good better and your better best, never rest. You know, and that's, and that's what the clown has to do. But really when you look at it, that's what anybody who's good in anything they do has to do, you know? I remember back in, in college, I went and saw Marcel Marceau uh -huh. and you know, it's all silent and the m movements are so powerful and the messages they send with no words are so, so powerful. So I guess as a clown where you can use your voice, you have the movement and the expression in addition to the words. Totally. And it depends upon, you know, there are clowns that don't speak. There are clowns who do speak, um, but still it's the body, you know, it's how we understand the world. I mean, you know, things are changing so fast with technology and that, you know, we talked about this the other day that 85%, I mean, there's a differing, but between 85 and 90% of what we, what we trust is what we see, what we see in the body, not the words that we hear coming out of the person's mouth. And, you know, in this Zoom age, I think it's where people are struggling because it's hard for them to go, when I brought that up, you know, they kept fidgeting their feet underneath, you know, you couldn't see it from up here. Right. You know, it's, it's just changing how we're having to process the world in some capacity. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. It's going to be interesting to see what this generation, you know, these kids, my kids, how they're going to perceive the world and, and how they begin to read what's what they believe to be truth. You know, right. Well, the world is definitely changing faster. I want to come back to this. You, you mentioned that when you practice enough, you get into a flow state and you kind of separate from the self and become part of a bigger energy and a, a bigger awareness. Um, when you improvise and you just go out on, on stage and you're, that probably takes a different level of st standing back to get into that state. Yeah. Right? yeah, you know, you have to surrender. I mean, in both, you have to surrender control. You have to go, I, I can't, you have some sort of control, but you can't control everything. You have to kind of surrender to the moment to the energy of the audience, the energy of your partners and listen, you know, full body listening and, and then respond and truthfully. Of course, there's the artist up there that's going, oh wow, look where they're, you see where this is going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's give a little nudge here. Oh yeah, you know, and you feel where it's going and we're unconscious or non-verbally we're connecting and we're just on this groove. And it's, it's like anything, it's like watching great athletes. Because I think of theater as athletes. When theater is its best, we are like athletes. Because the great athletes, when you watch them, they're just, they just know because they've practiced so much. They're in the flow, you know, and they're just, they're in that thing and it doesn't matter. They're just, they're not trying to control it. They're not trying to do anything more than follow the flow because they've worked so hard and they know. And, and I just knew that so-and-so was going to be over there and I threw it. I knew you were going to you were going to say this thing, or I knew you were going to move to that place. And so I was ready to go, you know, I was ready to receive it. We're just a little bit before, but we're such in sync. 
And that is when it's, it's effortless and it's a blast. So I mean, you're, you're doing without really doing, you're not trying. It's right. just, it's just flowing from a, a state of yep. awareness and consciousness. So I, I think we're, we'll transition into um, the present moment in the future and what you and your colleague are doing to start reshaping the universe of theater and where theater is today and where it can go with artificial intelligence and virtual reality and kind of the metaverse and what you're doing to push the, the evolution of theater mm -hmm. into the future. Yeah, you know, um, the question kind of came up at Iowa, we, we um, well, I guess it was six, seven years ago, we decided we were going to expand into the digital media that, you know, we needed to in order to keep up with the times. And we brought in Dan Fine. And during his interview, I just said, so I've been listening to your conversations about digital media and theater and, you know, where you think it's going. And I said, I'm a clown. And, and everything about the clown is about that interaction with the audience. That's what makes clown theater and clown performances really um, personal because it's really personalized for that show, that moment. And you know that you will see things that no other audience is going to see because it's how that clown interacted with that audience member. And I said, so how does this branch out to community? How does, you know, if the clown is one of the arbiters of creating community, then how does that happen in this digital world where the clown needs that contact? And he just looked at me and goes, great question. I have no idea. <laughs> you know, so, so I said, okay, yeah, that's fair. And um, he got the job and in the and about the end of his first year, he walked in, sat in my office. He said, so I think you and I should work together. Remember that question you asked me in my interview last year? I think we should, we should pursue that. And I said, all right, what does that mean? You know, and I'm, you know, to be honest, I'm, a, I'm kind of just a step above a Luddite in some ways, but I've always looked at things and going, oh, that it's going to go this way. I mean, if you look at how things are happening, I guess it's because I've always loved puzzles. My favorite thing was the metal puzzles. So you get it Cracker Barrel, whatever, right. you got to get the ring off the horseshoe and all that. I would sit, you know, back in the day when I was touring in Idaho, we'd end up at a Cracker Barrel and they have like, 10 or 15 of those things hanging on a wall while you wait. And I just sit there and just be pounding them off. Just that's what I do and love it. And they'd be like, it gets to the point where they go, okay, Paul, go. And I just start racing through those things because my mind just likes those kinds of puzzles. Like, how does this, how are you? And so I just kind of look at it and I went, I look at things and go, okay, I see the trends happening. I see this happening over here. I see that. Well, the natural evolution has got to be this way in some capacity, somehow. It's going to end up down the road here. So I said, okay, great, let's, let's do it. And so we started to explore it. Um, and in 2017, we kind of brought together a team, some of them graduate students, some people from outside in the professional world. And we started to explore this. Um, most of it was green screen, motion capture. And most of it, for the first iteration, it was really classical clown. Um, for the first half, and then the clown ends up in this, the idea was that ends up kind of in this iPad, right? 
And so we had this um, scrim that's called a hologos, which it, you can project onto and it's three-dimensional. Mm -hmm. It looks three-dimensional when you project on it. And so that was in front of me because it's almost translucent, transparent. And behind me was a, a rear projection screen. So I was in this kind of box. And so you had projection in front of me, projection behind me. So it looked like I was in this world, right? And it was okay. It was kind of classic clown. It was kind of Buster Keaton's, uh, a, a weaker version of Buster Keaton's, you know, um, silent movie bit where he steps into the screen. And we kind of got done with that. We, we presented it at Prague and the basic feedback was, man, the old classic clown stuff in the book was great. The stuff where you got into the digital stuff, that was, uh, and I was like, okay, so we're trying to make the digital fit the clown. All right, we gotta let this go. We gotta, we gotta scrap this. This has to go in a different, so we threw it all out and we started over again. We brought in a playwright who's really amazing, Lee Maxwell. We brought in um, other technical people to start taking our different software, different uh, technologies and expanding those. And then we started to make a real story. So it's clown, but it's more theatrical clown. So it really started to base around this idea of like, okay, so let's take a look at all these tech gurus. What do we love about them and what makes us crazy about them? You know, what drives us nuts? The personality. So we started to explore the personalities, the egos of the Elon Musks and the Steve Jobs. And we were uh, the Elizabeth, uh, oh, who is the blood? Elizabeth, she's, she's the one who went to, who's, and the trial, she had the blood machine. What was it, Elizabeth? I can't think of I'm of no help here. Yeah, I'm trying to remember that. Anyway, it was just really fascinating looking at, at these, these, these personalities. And so we're like, okay, let's take a look at those. The main character is gonna be one of these, but he's gonna be the outlier. He's gonna be the one that didn't really make it into Silicon Valley. He's the one who couldn't really get the, the venture capitalists. He's going to be the, you know, the one who was so thinking so out there that everybody's like, you're a nutball and stay, you know, that's just, no, we're not going to take your risks on you. And so we're like, great. So what does he create? Well, we're like, okay, so he creates this avatar, this world. Well, what is it about all of these tech gurus that, when they start out, it seems like they start out with, we're going to save mankind. You know, it's for the benefit and the good of, of mankind, which if you look through history, all technology has been to make life better and easier. But somewhere it starts to get twisted or somewhere power starts to corrupt. We're like, okay, so let's, let's, let's play with this. Where is this going to go down the road? And... So we created this guy, we started, okay, so he creates an avatar. Okay, yeah, boy, okay. He's gonna create this, the U-verse. This place that you will create an avatar that is AI driven, that you load your, what we call your distinct essence, gets uploaded into the computer and it starts to evolve. And you can shape it so that you can create the ideal you. So for all those people who were struggling like I was when I was younger going, looking in the mirror and going, 
I'm somebody else, but I'm not this thing that I've created out here. I got to do some real work because I'm not being honest. You can be that thing that you feel you are inside and make this happen in this universe, right? The U-verse, we call it. Well, we started to develop this. We started to develop the script. And we are really growing this thing, right? So that as you build your U, YU, uh, and it goes into the U-verse, the YU-verse, you know, you can go build any world, you can be anywhere. All right, but how does he, how does he create, how does he get the money for this? How does he build the technology? Because so we're like, ah, okay, well, we could have, well, it'd be through venture capitalists, but the venture capitalists, we've decided to fall, turn their backs on it. Right. And so who, all right, so he's gonna find his own way to make his own money. He's gonna raise the own, his own capital. All right, so we said, okay, so this is gonna be one of the acts. So the act that we have right now, that we did a first presentation of last year, we had invited, we invited a bunch of friends and, and that who we trust, they give us decent feedback. They were invited. And so we divided it into two ways. So I'm in a green screen room. So I have, so everything gets kind of filtered through Unreal Engine. And Epic Games gave us a $25,000 grant to help us start building our, our work. So we use Unreal to kind of create some of the worlds. We use um, Snapchat for my avatar and that gets manipulated by another computer, by someone in San Francisco. We have, uh, we're using a couple of other technologies. So basically we're going back and forth between the creator and the avatar. And I'm playing both of these right now. And the creator decides to hold an event, you know, per, uh, Percival, like the knight, you know, King Arthur's knight. Percival mm-hmm. uh, holds this event for funders, invites them in, and we have it divided into two. So you can join the audience in the masses, which I can't see. But I was like, if I'm going to be in clown, I'm not going to just be here performing for a television monitor. That's no fun to me. It's like how, again, the question is, how do we create community? How am I in interaction? So right now we have six people who are investors that I can speak with, talk to, and everybody's kind of watching me work with them. So those are the audience members. Are they avatars or they just Right now they're real. That's the future. We're like, okay, great. So when they finish the game, how do we give them their avatars? So now they go from being uh, the everyday person that we see. And then in their same square, we see their avatar pop up with them, right? So how do we, so we're trying to work those bugs out, right? So that's the future of this piece. Um, and that eventually we'll see the U-verse and these you know, avatars and that, and we start to see what's happening there. Well, all this sort of develop and then, and then Zuckerberg announces the metaverse and we're like, hey, do we start suing now or how does that work? You know? <laughs> we're like, wait a minute. But it just goes to show, right? We were talking about flow and connection, right? And that I know what you're going to do because we're connecting and working on a, on a wavelength that is not, it's a different sense. We call it the sixth sense or whatever, but it's, it is a different sense that we have. 
but that happens across miles and continents. We're connected and plugged into the U-verse, right? Um, in a way that if you put the idea out there, well, somebody else is on it too. So if you don't act upon it, you're going to see it and you're going to go, oh, I mean, how many people, or how many times have you said, I had this idea and there it is two years later. It's similar, it's the same idea because it's inter we're interconnected. That energy is out there. So, you know, our big thing is like, you know, if, if you have the idea and you're passionate about it, you better jump because it's going to show up. Well, sure enough, right? We were doing this, we we're building this for two years and then the metaverse, well, the metaverse, they had been working on it probably before we came up with the idea. So we tapped into the, the idea of the metaverse when it was top secret, nobody was knew about it, right? Or it's just ideas, but that's how these things work, right? And that's how, in a way, creativity works. That's how we, I think, can push the forms further because we're in a collective consciousness that, you know, we all, you know, many people go, oh, what's that hoodoo voodoo? That's, that's crazy witchy, but it's, it's true. I mean, it's, it is what the indigenous people understood and know. And we're only just starting because we can scientifically measure it. Go, oh, I guess that is true. You know, you know it's, it's interesting. You talk about uh, the metaverse and the, the UU and in quantum physics, there's this concept of uh, the unified field where when you get to a certain state, when you get past your fears and your judgments, you can connect to someone on the other side of the world. You can be thinking, thinking something and they will know what you're doing. There's healers that do healing work from thousands of miles away. So I think, you know, as society moves into the metaverse and everyone's looking for community and relationships, kind of what this wild, crazy idea you had is will manifest. And it's, you know, when you look at innovation, the real true innovation comes in small experiments and small steps. Mm -hmm. And as I listened to you talk, Paul, you didn't know where you were going to start. You tried something, you presented it, it didn't work. You went back, tried another experiment. It's just this evolution of these small experiments that are really teaching you how to engage between person and person and avatar and person, how to engage with your own avatar and how to engage with communities. So That's this right. is, that's right. Really groundbreaking. And it's going to be our future. And that future is going to be in the, in the next 10 years. This is oh, coming yeah. like a tsunami. Oh, it's moving it's, fast. And, and some of it even faster than that, I think. I mean, we just are looking at what we're doing. And, and we're like, okay, you know, when, when the metaverse was announced, we're like, okay, let's get this. But what's the next? We're like, okay, so now we got to think 10 years beyond that. So, so that we're we a can keep Percival's world, keep him on the edge, but yeah, you have to think out there. And it, you know, it's, you know, as you were talking, I was going, well, I can't tell you how many times when I was in college, my mother would call and go, what's going on? What's happening? And something had happened that day. And she just was tuned in, right? They, we called it the mother's instinct, but we all had that. We've all experienced it. We're like, I keep thinking about so-and-so. I should give them a call. Hey, what's going on? And you find out something 
majors happen. So they're putting out this major vibration that you're picking up on because you have that connection, right? You're, you're, you have a direct uh, wiring to that person and you're getting the signal. And I think the more we become conscious about that this is a real thing and we start listening to that, then I think, you know, we're gonna, in some ways, by going so far forward with technology, we're gonna return back to more of our natural self, the natural instinct to follow that gut instinct, to know that that's a truth, there are truths in here and we need to listen to those. We need to, to follow that instead of ignore it or say, oh, that's just it. Naming, you're, you're absolutely spot on, Paul. I, you know, with the speed of exponential change and everything that's coming so fast, people are going to start getting un overwhelmed and there's so much inf information and you, you almost have to get out of your, get out of your mind and your ego yeah. and get into your subconscious, which it can process so much more information and be attuned to your gut feeling. But yeah. you know, as you, you, you have to be quiet, right? You have to slow down, which is interesting, right? that technology is moving at, you know, they're trying to push it to, you know, the fastest speed that it can go, that we can, processors can go. But in order for us to exist in that, we as humans are gonna have to slow and quiet our machines so that that subconscious can be processing at that speed, right? It's, it's, it's the, in a weird way, right? It's, it's that, uh, that law, Newton's law of like, you know, for every action, there's equal and opposite reaction. Well, if we're going that fast this way, then we got to slow down as quickly this way so that we can find that dynamic, you know, uh, that what we call in my Alexander work, tensile strength, right? So that you're balanced in, in body work, you're balanced in the front and the back, the front and back bands are balanced in their tension. So that one's not pulling the other one off balance and creating issues within the body, in the function of the machine. So it's interesting as you speak, I'm like, oh yeah, we, maybe that's why we're looking to slow down so that we can exist in, in this, my gosh, the amount of information that's happening and being processed and thrown at us. And now from every aspect of life. Exactly. So if you think of, slowing down to speed up. I, this thought comes to mind that you slow down so you can get on this tsunami that's coming through mm -hmm. at warp speed and you can be on your, on your surfboard mm -hmm. and you're in the flow, you're in the state and you're riding the wave and you can keep up with this rapid change. Yeah. I mean, the change, when you look at the meta trends and what's gonna happen in this decade, there's going to be a trillion, trillion sensors in our economy, you know, with yeah. computing speed doubling every year, year and a half. Yeah. There's going to be 7 billion people with cell phones that are more powerful than supercomputers were 10 years ago right. that are engaged. And right. there's with all these sensors and, you know, artificial intelligence helping humans make more decisions and change, control everything in your life, you know. In, in the room that we're sitting in, we've got uh, sensors and systems that control the temperature. You can dial in on your cell phone yeah. from 
across the world and turn your air conditioner on or off. That's right. You can turn your Sonos system on. I mean, everything yeah. with autonomous vehicles and droids. And, totally. you know, some people might get overwhelmed by all this crazy change. Yeah. But if you can become aware, and a major purpose of this show is to stimulate um, people's curiosity to learn more about mm -hmm. this convergence. Yeah. of all these meta trends that are here today and are going to change every aspect of our life and be aware of it. So you can start figuring out how to find time to reflect, to meditate, to slow down and just let things process so you can keep up with it. So, you know, that's find your surfboard, right? You got yeah. to ride the wave that you can ride the wave. I, you know, as you're talking, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I think this is the thing because we can't possibly we can't comprehend it all or deal with it all. I mean, it's just, we're just not built for that, right? So you have to quiet down to go, okay, so what do I want to deal with? What do I want to pursue? What, what are the paths I want to go on? What is important to me? What isn't? So you, you can sort through that because you try to take it all in and try to do it all, your mind will blow up. I mean, it's just, I mean, I sit in, our, our production meetings and all of the brains, because I call them the brains, you know, I'm just, I'm just the, the one who falls down and flips over the chair and does all of that. But I listen to them talk and they're starting to throw out the jerk and I'm like trying to follow and go, yeah, but okay, so can I, I just want to be able to talk to them. So and they're like, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, it's wonderful. And I'm, I'm forcing myself into this because I want to understand it to an extent but my surfboard is, but I'm the one who keeps bringing it to make sure that we keep coming back to humanity, myself and the playwright. Like, but where's the humanity in this? Because if it's too far out here, it's important to me go, where's the humanity? So that the clown is constantly creating this connection in community. And where does that go? Boy, I don't know. You know, I think you and I were talking about the AR glasses, you know, perhaps one day, it's going to go that way that you will, you'll be in your living room and you'll throw on these glasses and suddenly you'll be in the theater. You know, you'll pay your admission and you're in the theater and you look to yourself and there's going to be somebody from, you know, another country next to you and somebody over here and you can maybe speak to them and there's a translator so you can speak your native tongue and yet you'll understand what they say. You know, we're, we'll be looking at each other and having these dialogues with people who are not like us and then sitting in the theater because the thing that live performances do, and this is proven by science, is that we sync up our biorhythms. So when you're in theater, our heart rates sync up. That's what makes it so moving. And so as a collective, the performance is, is basically taking us on this journey and they've, they sync up our heartbeats, our biorhythms, our breathing. And the really good work manipulates that so you have this experience as a human being and can take a look at and hopefully have some sort of, maybe not a cathartic, you know, that would be ideal catharsis, but you're going to have some sort of experience outside of your own experience and get a perspective on the world and another individual's struggle that we didn't have before. And so if we can take with technology and suddenly sync up, what would it be like if, you know, oh, 
10,000 people tuned into the theater that night. And we're in a theater and maybe we don't see all 10,000 people. Maybe we just see 700, but you just don't know. The computer randomly puts them all together. But here you are talking to, I'm talking to someone from Ghana. I'm talking to somebody from Saudi Arabia. I'm talking to somebody from Ukraine and Russia or Russia and Ukraine are talking to you, right? We're having conversations and we start to learn about, well, what do you see? And then all of a sudden our hearts start to sync up and our biorhythms sync up because we're watching this piece. And what changes could possibly happen in the world if, that, if the technology takes us there, right? That's, that's where things could really just you know, change the world. Well, I think that's a, that's a great point. Theater gives audiences and the actors the ability to let go of yourself, mm-hmm. become one with a, a larger consciousness, a universal consciousness yep. or awareness. And I yes. think that's going to be critical in the future with the metaphors and humanity as a whole, you know, mm-hmm. being able to engage with compassion and kindness. I was in a um, community meeting with Peter DeMondis yesterday. He has a, an, a group called Abundance 360, and we get together periodically. And they were talking about glasses that will come out that will actually tell you from facial recognition and looking at the eyes and looking at the movement and what the people you're engaging with, what they're feeling in kind of what the reality is and whether they're coming from a place of truth or they're coming from a place Uh, of ego and delusion. (laughs) So, you know, artificial intelligence and technology are going to give us so much more information and they're going to help us evolve as humans. But I think, you know, part of riding the wave and slowing down is learning how to surrender and almost become a witness to yourself because if you can become a witness to yourself, you know, and, and, and watch yourself, but watch the community you're engaging in. Yep. You're, you sink to a higher wavelength and a higher awareness and so much more is possible. And it's, it's very exciting, but it's, it's awesome what you're doing in theater, but you're evolving through all these small, innovative experiences to, to figure it out. But I think, the world is going to be trying to figure out what you're figuring oh, out in theater. I think, you know, and you know, here we are doing this, but I know, you know, um, Actors Theater Louisville, last year they announced, they're like, we're going all digital. You know, the pandemic sped up this, this evolution. You know, theater, theater, you know, was slow to embrace certain technologies. Um, because we were purists, you know, there's some of that old, yeah, but we're, and, you know, there are aspects of the theater that are important, really important. You know, it, it, it's as old as humanity, right? As old as the being sitting around the fire and telling the stories of the hunt, right? And, and that it evolved and, you know, went through the Greeks and, you know, communities and civilizations grew and evolved and, and um, stayed together. 
and existed could exist because of these stories and the passing on of the story and the telling and connected us. So that's an important aspect of who we are as human beings, but it's always evolved. You know, we're no longer sitting around the campfire or the fire. We're no longer sitting in the giant amphitheaters with these great big masks and megaphones, you know, and everybody showing up midday to watch the theater, you know, it's evolved and changed as technology, you know, electricity came about and instead of candles, we had electric lights and suddenly the ability to change those dimmers and create different effects. And then, you know, suddenly we could have mechanical scenery being moved instead of having people push it on or pull it off or pulling ropes, right? It's always been there. And theater, you know, there was this old saying, well, theater's dying. No, it's not, it's just evolving. The theater you know is dying because it's, it's like human beings, you know? The last generation, we're different than the last generation. You know, I'm different than my father's generation. My father's 94 now, you know? He went to see the March Brothers on stage. You know, he saw them opening up, doing opening routines when their, their movies were going out in trial uh, runs in Chicago. That was his age, you know? And he saw an evolution of a lot of theater since that time. Well, now we're going into this new world exponentially. So there are companies out there doing this stuff. They know it because theater suddenly went, during the COVID, they were like, well, okay, well, we'll record something and we're gonna try and play with Zoom and we'll try to create theater this way. So it was crude and it was rough, but then suddenly people who were trapped in their home were like, yeah, let's tune into, let's tune into this show in New York for 10 bucks. It's 10 bucks. And we can all watch it for 10 bucks or 20 bucks. And so we're watching it on our big screen TV. And suddenly theaters were thinking, well, we'll cobble some money, but some theaters were doing better than they were doing before the pandemic because they could have 2000 people tune in for a night for 10 bucks. Well, that brought in a lot more money than having two or 300 people come in and pay 80, 90, hundred bucks. Absolutely. I mean, it, it changes the whole dynamic when you, you, totally. can, you can present your, your theater and your movement and your acting and your stories to millions of people around right. the world. You, you mentioned something that I want to circle back to. You mentioned indigenous people mm -hmm. and their stories. And I had the opportunity to go to the Amazon rainforest and fly in and spend mm -hmm. some time with indigenous people in the jungle. Wonderful. And actually got to interview a shaman through an interpreter. So he was speaking in Portuguese. So I got about an hour and a half interview. But it was, it was sad in some respects because the Brazilian government had come in with generators. And they, they had these, these long homes that are 100, 120 feet long, 40 feet tall. They're a wooden frame with these, these straw grasses over them. And there's mm -hmm. two or three generations in there. And they're not wearing much clothes and they're, you know, mm -hmm. they're grinding yeah. food and, and making things. And um, then they have these 60 inch TV screens with soap operas going on. So you've got mm -hmm. the younger generation that's tuning in and they're losing their indig indigenous languages and they're learning Portuguese and they're watching soap operas and dramas on Brazilian TV in the middle of nowhere. So they're, they're trying to strip them of their stories 
and their identity. So they become one with society. And I think that's a huge, huge risk of the metaverse and where we're going with digital technologies is we don't want to lose our personal identities, our family stories, our family histories, and the histories of our our society and our culture. And, you know, with all the wild polarization and politics and all this craziness. And it's, I mean, the world is a crazy place, but we have to find a way to the compassion and, and the kindness and the understanding and also the ability to preserve our stories for the future. Because if we, everyone loses their stories, then what are we? And what are we? Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I agree totally. And, I'm, and that's the dark side of it, right? It's, it's part of what we're looking at in our show as well is, well, what's the dark side to this technology? Percival starts out because he wants to change the world. He wants to give people like himself who have this, this idea, the chance to create whatever they want to create, to create a world that is egalitarian, that is, is um, just, and for people to create that existence. Um, and not be hindered by money, physical ability, anything. And and in our show, because it's a theatrical show, it goes awry in the end. The AI gets really smart and the AI takes over. The AI takes over so much because so many people have bought into the metaverse or the U-verse, right? That the AI knows everything, including about the politicians, the judges, everybody who is in the power position suddenly the ai is the ultimate power and they don't know how to unplug it right and so this is where personal so we're not quite sure this is the full length show it's four acts right now we're finishing up this act and we're going to show it uh this november um at a conference in las vegas that's um uh all about technology theatrical technology, you know? So LDI is what it's called. And uh, we're gonna present it there, see what people think in that. And then we're gonna build the other three acts. Um, but it's something, you know, it's like anything, you know? The light and the dark, they must exist in order for the other one to exist. They have to coexist. So I think you have to look at both. And to go into darkness is not a bad thing, right? We say, oh, the dark side, right? I'm a Star Wars geek. I love it. <laughs> I, I teach, when I teach my acting, I'm like, everything you need to know about acting, you can learn from the original trilogy. It's all right there. Um, and so they all, you know, my students, you know, they all, you know, their joke is like, yes, let's go talk to Yoda. I was like, I only wish I was, but there is truth in that because that's all based, you know, Lucas brought in Joseph Campbell for a reason. The reason why those original trilogy is so strong is because Campbell was there in Lucas's ear going, this is this myth, this is that myth. This is, look at this, look at that, read this, read that. And so you have this, this light and the dark and, and they're, both, they're both important. Yet, it gets out of balance, right? If you lean into the darkness too much, it's gonna pull you, it will abuse, 
it will abuse others. But if you don't, if you're into the light and you refuse to accept that there's darkness, then you're not connected to the, to the existence either. You know, the thing about Luke is that, oddly enough, you know, here's Yoda over here and Ben. They don't believe that Luke's going to be able to do this. They don't see that you have to have a balance of the two inside of you. And the greatest journey is truly Luke's journey who goes, there is still good in him. I can, I know that that's there. And they go, it's not possible. And here is the son, which we're talking about that mother-child connection. Well, here's the son-father connection saying, it's at the heart, that thing that connects us is still existing. It's hardwired. That machinery didn't get rid of it. And so he gets to it. And sure enough, in the end, he reconnects with the father and the father and he exists. So he finds that balance. So the struggle, I think for us, the struggle for the tech gurus, and I find it interesting that we call them gurus because I don't, I always tell my students, I said, don't look for a guru, look for a mentor because the guru wants you to believe that they have all the answers. They know everything. It's only them. And without them, you can't function. That's a power dynamic. That yeah, that is, blind faith can take you into a, a bad place that totally. is hard to get out of. That's exactly right. And so I'm like, look for the mentor. So I think what we're looking for or what we have to be in search of as all these different forms push on are the mentors, not the gurus, not the ones who egos get so big that they think they are it. They are the future. They are everything, right? It's gotta be the ones who are pushing forward, but no, but are looking for that balance, right? Um, and keeping humble. And that's the clown's job, getting back to clown, right? How does the clown exist? Well, the clown's importance in those indigenous cultures was to keep everybody humble and, and the balance within the community. If one person began to think that they were more than the collective whole, it was the clown's job to go in and clown them and in front of everybody to bring them back, to humble them and bring them back in line so that the community could be healthy. And that included the priests, the, the, you know, especially those that were in power, the clowns had full right, had full power, and it, it still exists in certain indigenous cultures. But what interests me is how do we look back there, draw from that past what you were saying, not to lose those stories or those traditions so that we can take it into the future and evolve it so that it heal, it, it keeps us balanced. You know, balance is, is key, I think. I mean, I pause for a minute and think about all the millions of people that are in depression and despair and they're on all these, all these drugs and they struggle um, to find a way out. Um, you know, part of our conversation is to create aware, awareness with our audience about these metatrends and what's happening in technology so they can start understanding it but 
you mentioned Elon Musk earlier. And Elon's one of the best entrepreneurs of all time. And Elon looks 10 years into the future and say, what technologies are coming and how can I capitalize on those? I mean, Tesla is not a car company. It's a AI company. It's an autonomous vehicle company. It's a robotics company. It's a sensor company. So he took all these major trends and he's bringing it together to solve lots of exponential problems. You know, he's right. looking at how you colonize space. But the clown in me is like, and he needs a dose of a clown. Well, I was, <laughs> as you were talking, you know, I wonder who's Elon's clown because obviously yeah. he has conviction and his vision for the future. And he has sure. a very strong ego and he, you know, he's almost lost it all many times and he comes back stronger each time. Mm -hmm. And um, so who is Elon's clown? Who helps well, him the maintain the balance? But, you know, one of the things we were talking about the other day is balance in this, in the universe, forget the earth, think about the universe. That's right. And, Humans right. are just one species in a vast universe. Oh, and, these, and, yeah. and how it's how the universe is reshaping and you know how individuals can understand where it's going and it's going so fast. Yeah. So we're riding this surfboard. And um, you know, how do you not only cope, but how do you thrive? And there is so much mm -hmm. abundance. Yes. I mean, today it's easier than ever being an entrepreneur. Um, it, capital's there, technology's there. It's just much cheaper to start a new business. And most of the great companies around today were started in depressions, recessions, when there's bad economic times and people get laid off. And then they come up with these wild, crazy ideas. Yeah. And you know, I had the privilege of listening to Google's, uh, the guy that runs their innovation company. And he said at Google, Unless it's a crazy, crazy, wild idea, we're not interested in it. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned this early, that if you're thinking about it, someone else is thinking about it. But That's at right. Google, it has to be so far out there that we don't have two or three competitors that are ahead of us on it. That's right. And how do we get started? Right. And it's, it's interesting listening to them talk. They'll start doing experiments and they'll start moving it down the way and a technology may get put on the shelf. But five years later, a new technology comes to light which actually enables them to take something on the shelf to the next step. So yeah, that's right. Innovation um, is, is about creativity and it's about adaptability and it's a human species. Um, there's plenty of abundance for everyone and we have to change our culture and our society and think about how, how we impact a billion people and how we make life a better place. But you know, the, the clown mindset is interesting and you know how do we bring a clown into a boardroom i mean corporate patriarchal boards right. <laughs> that are so conservative right i mean they need they need to start doing some wild thinking because if they stick with their business model they won't be around for too long right. but then how do you bring in not only a clown to find humility but also to challenge their thinking and you know what's possible you know it's going to be the people who it's going to be the people who are in those positions that see something or someone comes across them that they go, oh, that. And when that takes off, for instance, <clears throat> you know, in when I was in Chicago, one of the 
the other jobs I had when I was, had my theater companies is I was the supervisor of the um, clown doctor program at the University of Chicago Children's Hospital. Now it's Commerce Children's Hospital. But um, so we were professional clowns who went in acting as clown doctors and we had full range of the hospital. We went everywhere. We were in post-op, pre-op, we were in hemoc oncology. And we, of course, it's about clowning for the children, right? We all go, oh, sick children, clown, let's bring joy. Yes. But to be honest, where I thought our most important work was, was with the staff, the doctors, uh, the administrators, that going in and clowning for them and making them laugh or taking the piss out of a doctor who is just arrogant, had the God complex, a total asshole. We had one. They were just mean to the staff. They were mean to everybody. And we would just clown the shit out of that person behind, you know, when they would be in a room for the staff and that, to get them laughing, to get them enjoying it. And finally, eventually, after years, that doctor came around and saw the importance of what we did. And they started to change. And we started to clown with them. And so we were able to slowly manipulate them. But what was more important is that the person who became uh, the head of the medical school, Dr. Kahana, one day she was bringing residents around, you know, candidates, resident candidates. So they come, they interview, and we started clowning with them. And then I'd ask them questions. I'd be like, yeah, so why pediatrics? Maybe, uh, uh, you know, and they'd look at the, Dr. Kahana or whatever. And she goes, yeah, go ahead. You know, and, and we would clown them and I would see them and I'd go, that one's a good one. And she'd go, you think so? Why? And I'd just kind of explain why, because how they interact with her. I'd say, I'd watch out for that one. And eventually she started making us part of that interview process. So they'd be sitting in the boardroom with Dr. Kahana having her interview. And then we come, we come in. Boom, I'd walk over the table, crawl under the chairs. We would get in there and we would start to interview them. And they would be looking at Dr. Khan and they'd be like, uh, what? And, and she'd be like, yep, go ahead. And it was through that interaction that she could really start to see who they really were. And I'd ask questions like, so, so what do you, why pediatrics? Like, well, I like children and that's what I want. And I said, oh yeah, so what do you do that's fun? Because you know what? Play is the most important thing that we have. And they want to play. So what do you do? What do you do that's fun? And I remember one, one poor candidate, she said, well, I love to wear really weird socks. I said, great. And I threw back the chair. I jumped <laughs> under the table. I went and I pulled up her, her pant leg and she was wearing, you know, uh, uh, some sheer stockings to go with her flats. And I was like, well, these aren't fun. These, my grandma wears these, you know, I started mocking him, pulling him. It's just like, uh-huh. So, so why didn't you wear it? Just, well, I didn't think it'd be appropriate. I mean, I really want this gig. I go, would this been a, would you have disqualified her? You know, I went to Dr. Khan, would you have disqualified her for wearing good socks? Because if you did, I'm going to get on you, you know? Khan is like, of course not. I said, then start wearing fun socks. I said, you know, be who you are. These kids need that. These kids need to be able to laugh. They, parents need to be able to trust. I said, they're in some of the hardest situations you could ever imagine, you know? And so Kahana started to make us part of this process. And one guy walked in and I, he left and I said, 
you do what you want. I don't know how he's doing on the other ones, but I, I wouldn't want to work with, you know, and he, his pedigree was great. You know, he came from, I don't know, he came from some big medical school and all that. And he was the top of their list. She cut him. He, after that, I said, you can see what he's going to become. Because what she saw, someone who had worked really hard to get to her position as a woman, she saw the patriarchy, the arrogance, and somebody who wasn't going to listen. Wasn't going to listen to the parents, wasn't going to listen to the kid, wasn't going to play. And so she cut him. So it was interesting. So she started to change the quality of resident, which is going to change the quality of doctor, right? So you, in those boardrooms, what has to happen, it's got to be somebody like an Elon Musk, who's like, brings in this clown that's going to have full reign. You can't ask the clown to work within parameters because the clown's going to go, I need to do this. I need to go here. I need to overstep here. This person needs to be pushed there. And it's going to make people uncomfortable. It's also going to make people laugh. But when you're in that state, it's going to balance things out. It's going to get people laughing. And when we laugh, we get to the core of who we are. And it has all of these you know, biological effects and health and, and all of that, but also is going to get you all thinking collectively and in a way that's going to move things forward. Well, I mean, I think that's a great point. Um, if you think of the corporate clown really is the corporate disruptor to get people into a different sandbox, to get them to play a different game and to really start bringing some playfulness into strategic decisions of the business, I, I think it will have um, a huge, huge impact. And, you know, I think people talk about leadership and I've been, mm -hmm. been thinking about a book dealing with exponential cultures of, you know, businesses of the future. And yeah. I think structural hierarchical leadership goes away and maybe the term leadership goes away and it's replaced yeah. with something like teammanship. Yeah. So you have a team, a senior leadership team of people that have diverse cognitive abilities. Uh, I'm not talking about race and other things. I'm talking about different mindsets yep. that bring different strengths to the table. Yep. Then having, you know, maybe maybe the CEO becomes the 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 CC, the chief clown and the disruptor. And, and brings out the play and the um, cognitive creativity to think about what's possible. And you have to almost lay these um, emergence, consolidation of all these technologies and what your business is and what's possible and where it's going to be in five and 10 years. And, you know, look at Kodak. They yeah. were a, a yeah. film camera company yeah. and they, they went away fast. Yeah. But there's going to be a lot you know, of businesses going first, away fast. My first clown show, 500 Clown, our first show, our Macbeth, we rehearsed in the old Kodak factory in Chicago. God knows what chemicals we were breathing in, but it was this giant factory. It was the old headquarters, Kodak headquarters that's in Chicago. That's where we rehearsed our first show. So it's funny you bring that up. But, you know, when you were talking, it, it makes me think, well, yeah, this is what the jester was to the king. The jester was the one who could walk amongst the people and hear the grumblings and the frustrations and this and that and the other thing. And he could go back and he could make the king laugh, but he could also, within reason, 
mock the king and give him the knowledge of what is going on out amongst the people because there's going to be an uprising soon if you don't change things real quickly. And the good kings would listen and have a good gesture. So in a way, right, maybe it's not the CEO, but maybe corporations will realize, oh, we need to somehow bring in that clown aspect. Who's, who's going to be that person who's on every team that is really there for the health of the team, perhaps. Maybe they're not even adding a ton to the problem they're solving. They're just- Facilitating the dynamics the dyna of the, the, exactly. the group yep. transparency. And keeping everybody humble. And in this place where they're all working <laughs> together, where you know if somebody's getting a little big for their britches, it's the clown that pulls the britches down, literally. And pantses them in front of everybody. I you know I had to do it for our chief operating officer for the <laughs> for the children's hospital <laughs> in a board meeting. You know, right. we did it in a board meeting, and you know, um, I mean, we gave them some great underwear to wear, you know, boxer shorts. But at the same time, it's that kind of thing, that sense of play, that will keep everybody thinking creatively and keep everybody. Perhaps that's the balance, right? Perhaps it's that person we need, that clown that we need in order to keep everybody balanced between that light and darkness. Because the clown can get very dark. The clown goes into the darkness. There's no problem going there. But the clown is resilient. The clown never stays down. If we were to stay down, then it becomes tragedy, right? So the clown right. would stay in that darkness. But the clown moves back and forth. The clown, the clown does, it, it can exist on multiple planes. The clown is not attached to these physical barriers even. The clown can transform in front of your eyes the world. It can take you to the outer space because the clown suddenly goes there with their imagination. And, and you believe it, you go there with the clown and, they, and they'll take you to different places. Well, I think that's the key, Paul, is the clown will take this group of people and let's assume a bunch of them have big egos because they didn't get to where they are without big egos, but sure. they take them out of the self and they take them into the, the collective, the group, the mm -hmm. we consciousness. Then they start playing um, at a bigger level. And when you look at social media and web three and the metaverse and where that's going, I mean, the companies that are really going to be success, successful and move fast and innovate are going to be, be the ones that bring in big social comedian, uh, communities mm. that are passionate about what they're doing. So if, if you have a, a massive transformational purpose and you can not only engage your senior leaders and your, your employees, but also engage the world mm. through communities and the passion and their ideas and find a way to mine these, these ideas and the company, the business will evolve so much faster, but, the companies that don't start looking 10 years out and saying, you know, how's this going to impact us? And what are we going to be in 10 years? What are we going to look like? Then engage these communities to help them get there fast. They're going to struggle. They're going to struggle big time. So, you know, it's, I mean, the, the clown helps redefine um, what's possible. And, you know, this igniting this imagination. And I think the metaverse is going to be, a great playground for the creatives of the world 
Um, it's just going to give them a place to play and create and solve these massive problems. I mean, there's so many of them, but they all can be solved with technology. And um, so when you, when you think about your, your theater and five years ago, you talked about going digital, you know, where do you see what you know now, where do you see, where do you see it in five to 10 years? I mean, what's your, what's the new wild, crazy idea? Um, For us, you know, our, our goal is to have the full length, the full length play. And hopefully it will be the idea is that you can engage in it from any platform in any way so that you can either, there is the possibility for you to come and see it live and in person, but if you're live and in person, there's also going to be a huge digital aspect of it. So you'll need your phone. You'll need other technology as well um, with you in the theater at that time, because aspects of it, you'll have to see through that as well as being in person. But you can also tune in online. You can tap in anywhere in the piece is the idea for us right now. I think as AR evolves and grows, that will be an aspect of it. This idea of even perhaps being able to have these glasses and be perhaps live in the theater with everybody else you know, that's kind of where I think it will go. Uh, it just depends upon how quickly theater wants to, to embrace it. But there are going to be people who are pushing it. They're pushing the boundaries and pushing the speed of it because economics also drive, you know, to have real estate is expensive, you know, so okay, we have live performances. That's, I think that's important. And I think that will always be around. I hope they'll always be around. How they evolve, we'll see. But to be able to expand where anybody can tune in from anywhere, let's go to the theater tonight. Oh, let's go see the show on Broadway tonight. My well, gosh. I mean, to think about what's possible with the, the way they're coming with voice translations, you could be doing a show in 12 different languages and you could be going out to sub-Saharan Africa and India and places yeah. around the world That's right. and deliver this humor and this comedy in their language. Or uh, drama or tragedy or whatever you know. it is. Yeah. And they can deliver to us. Right. So, I mean, think of that, like, wow, you know, it's sort of like what our streaming choices are now. There's so many anymore. It's like, Wow. And it's so much good content. It's almost overwhelming. Well, imagine if suddenly on your computer or whatever, you have all these choices of theater shows that you can see in companies and doing different interesting things, you know? Wow. What is that to be able to go for me to be able to tune in and, and see, you know, a, a theater company that's, you know, in the Ivory Coast doing something or over in, you know, the Czech Republic or wherever, you know, that's amazing, you know, what they could do for us. Um, and hopefully share our stories instead of lose our stories, right? 
How do we share our stories and find the common ground, which is the humanity? In the end, there is a commonality for all of us. Um, yeah, despite all of our political differences and all the different yeah. differences. At the end of the day. You know, at the, at the end of the day, it, we're, 80% of us are common and we have a lot to share. If we can just get right. by these barriers and these egos and our judgment and That's just right. surrender. And, and accept, right? To, to let go of the control. The desire to control so much, which is going to be interesting because, right, technology is all about let me control my environment. Because the, the dark side of the metaverse is I create my world that only like-minded my people exist in, right? That's the dark side, that we no longer are exposing ourselves to other ideas, other perspectives, other stories. That creates more division Completely. And more hatred and more animosity. Absolutely. So we've got to avoid. So then the wars happen in the metaverse, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the dark side. And that is something that's very, you know, right now there are people that are in it, probably like, oh, wars in the metaverse. I'm like, well, absolutely. There will be wars in the metaverse. You're going to have to look at that. Because again, there is the dark side of everything. There's the light and the dark. So with the positive, but if you're not looking at what it could be, and not going, how do, we, how do we bring that to light, shine the light on that possibility? And how do we keep um, a consciousness instead of turning a blind eye? Because we constantly turn a blind eye. Every time we turn a blind eye, something bad happens, right? It's somebody takes advantage of it. Oh, that couldn't possibly happen. Or that's not you know, I mean, this is this interesting, the balance between the light and the dark. We, we talked earlier about being able to heal people that are a thousand miles away or connect to people a thousand miles away. Well, that in, engaging in dark activities in this quantum field is also out there. So I, I think people need to learn how to find their own balance, but they also need to learn how to hold their light. Um, so it, when the darkness comes, it doesn't get into their body into their hearts and their souls and impact them in negative ways so mm -hmm. learning how to maintain the light um in the balance in life the one one of the things that we've talked about is you know everyone wants to control and how, how the metaverse is controlled and you know it's interesting i was at a ted talk in new york city and a gentleman named um brock pierce was talking about web 3.0 i mean gov 3.0 he was talking about the future where nation states and sovereigns and dictators aren't necessarily ruling that the masses through blockchain are making policy decisions and other things outside of country barriers and when you know mm. i said wow and i went and talked to him afterwards and you know it's, it's so fascinating to think about it before then i hadn't even thought you know what happens with you know blockchains and digital transparency where you maintain the truth and the authenticity yeah. um, and you know how political parties and other things may become irrelevant as you know policy and other things are done through people voting through you know these 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 blockchains and other um, technologies but uh, you know we talked about control, control in society, control of information, control the metaverse. Um, as a parent of three beautiful children, 
how do you bring um, the clown um, play dynamic into your, your family? And how does that play out? And, you know, as parents, you need to set boundaries for children, but you know, how do you, how do you use your unique skill set in raising three wonderful kids? Yeah. Well, uh, I haven't always been successful, (laughs) um, you know, but it's a, where I think Fanny and I succeed is a willingness to, to accept our, well, a few things. When we don't succeed, when we fail, because the clown fails a lot and then gets back up. A lot of the humor is based on failure in, for clown. But when we fail as a parent, you know, we, we deal with the situation the wrong way. We, you know, overstep, we try to control. I think where Fan and I have succeeded is we go in immediately and talk to our child about that moment and take responsibility for where we, we were wrong because we don't do it perfectly. And even though, yes, we make the rules, we, we have to create a, a structure that is safe and, and that exists within our, uh, gives them the tools that they will need to go off and, and have a, a healthy life. When, when things get rough or things get hard, there's listening. But I think what we try to do, and I'm trying to do more of it, I wasn't so successful in the beginning, uh, but I'm trying to do more of it now, is to bring it back to laughter, to find the humor in this really awful situation at some point. It might not be at that moment because they're not going to accept it, but sometimes I do. Sometimes I'll start to clown it. You know, uh, and now they start to do it back to me, you know, and I have to laugh because they are humbling me when I'm getting my power dynamics getting a little out of out of whack. They'll start, you know, my middle one, Levi, he's really good at it. Oh, my too good at it, really. And I'll just be like and I, I you know, the first thing I get anger for, and then I have to laugh and it humbles me and I go, OK, OK. Point, point taken. However, back to the original moment here, and then we can deal with it and process it. So I think I bring that to them. It's like, how do we keep it so we're actually communicating on that, on, on what's going on? And, and is this a me issue? Am I getting bent out of shape because it's my sh- shit, to be honest? Or is it, is it really something that, that they're doing? Or did that needs to be addressed with them or are they just being a kid and this is triggering something inside of me and so i'm trying to take that breath and find that balance because the immediate reaction sometimes sends us into the the wrong place and so i i have to breathe it and then usually when i when i talk to them about it i clown myself you know i mock myself bringing that self-deprecating humor and get them to laugh. And what I've seen, the results are, I'm seeing my kids when they overstep now, they will come back after they've been able to calm down 
the, 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 the reptile brain is calmed down. They've gotten out of the, <laughs> the lizard brain. They move back up into the upper brain. They can come back now and say, apologize. I don't know why I did that. Make fun of themselves at times. And that, because none of us are going to do it perfect. None of us are going to step through this life perfectly. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to push too hard. We're going to, somebody's going to say something at the wrong time. We're just not ready for it. But to be able to come back and say, I'm sorry. To be able to look at yourself and say, why did I do that? And unpack yourself. Well, that's just healthy. So my kids are starting to show that. And that, that gives me real great hope. If more kids can do that, then they can balance this. I mean, my kids for the first time, I mean, I'm telling you the screen thing. I'm telling you screens, right? Going, there's trees. There's a trampoline out back. There's a creek across the street. You know, that's how I grew up. But I, I didn't have this technology. You know, we had a TV. So my mom was like out the door, out away from the TV. So I have to accept their technology. But what I'm finding is they're starting to govern themselves. My kids were going away for vacation for two weeks. My oldest said, I'm leaving the iPad. I'm not taking any of my technology. I'm taking these books. I said, really? He goes, yep, that's my challenge to myself. I said, way to go. All right. That's very cool. It's really cool because he's going to be at the lake. You know, we're going to be at a lake. We got trees. We're in the woods. We got fishing. We got water skiing. We got all of these things. And he's got his books too. And so that, I go, okay. And of course... The oldest said he's doing that. So then the other two are like, okay, I'm going to do that too. So I'm going to take, you know, my Hattie's bringing her art supplies because she's a little artist and creative, which was exciting too. You know, she suffers from dyslexia. <clears throat> and for a long time, she was sheltered and, and, and would say no and turn away from things. And we're like, no, be brave. It's okay. Go try it. No, read. It's all right. You're where you're at. And she turned to Fanny that day and said, you know, I think I want to be an engineer because I can look at things and I like putting them together. And she does. She'll take disparate things and she creates this beautiful thing. And I'm like, okay. That's fantastic. Right? Something's going right. And so they're all like, yeah, I'm going to bring that. And I'm not going to, I'm not taking my technology either. So, so they're going back to going back to where we're talking about. There's something that Fan and I are doing in accepting the technology that they're doing, that's some of it's beyond me. I try to play the games with them. I get destroyed immediately. So they enjoy that. And it's great for me to do that. <laughs> Humbling for me. And let them be the, let them be the, the real experienced ones, you know, empower them that way. And let that happen in games and things as well. My, my oldest son turned to me the other day. I was, I'm building this pergola. And he said, you know, I was explaining why we're doing certain things. And then I was struggling with something. He goes, well, why don't you just try that? Son of a gun, if he wasn't right. It's like, that's a good idea, Bo. It's all right. I'll try that. You know, it's a great idea. So he problem solved right there, you know, and then proceeded to leave me out there struggling with the giant six by six post. But it's that stuff, right? That I think is bringing the clown and and that that we bring the clown in those aspects of the clown that are keeping us humble and not authoritarian in our house 
Um, and to know that, and to, yeah, know that we're doing that wrong, but have them, have us model that, that thing of like, okay, but you can move on. You misstepped, but you can go back, correct the steps and try again. And that's, you know, you're talking about Elon Musk, any great person. I mean, Edison, every great inventor, every great entrepreneur, every great athlete, you know, talks about how many times they failed. They fail far more than they succeed. And you have to be, you know, it's with the arts too. You know, we're trying this thing. It's failed. It's going to fail more. We're going to, we got a lot more failure coming our way. We know it. But the failure leads you to other places so that you can end up somewhere where you didn't imagine you would be. So yes, I imagine this thing out here, but am I going to land out where my imagination sees it? No, because it's through trial and error, we kind of build this pathway. And then all of a sudden we end up over here and go, my gosh, look at this. It's kind of like what we thought, but I didn't think it would be look like this. No, failure is the key to innovation. You know, these small experiment, yeah. experiments, keep trying things and keep failing, but you learn from those. Then you take what you learn, then you adjust course and you, you move forward. But it's life, right? It's yeah. why we play. It's why children play. They lose the game and then they play again and they figure out how to win at the game. And then they play a different game or they change the rules so it's harder. And then they fail more because in a weird way, we want the challenge right? It's no fun playing a game and winning all the time. If you're so good that you're beating everybody so much, it's boring, you know? You, so you handicap yourself. That's why we have handicaps, you know? Right. So that it's challenging. So that you're, you're, you're stretched, you're pushed to the uncomfortable, you know? I tell my actors all the time, it's like, I don't want to see a comfortable actor on stage. I'm sorry, I don't teach from that philosophy. I don't want you comfortable because you're portraying two people who are not in a comfortable moment in their lives. You know, so why should you be comfortable? Because when you're uncomfortable, you're playing at the edge of your game. You will find the flow and that's wonderful. You're in the flow, it's easy, but it's not always comfortable. Yeah, getting outside of the sandbox and going into a new one's not always comfortable. It never is. Now, I want to leave you with, with one thought. You talked about the clown doctor mm -hmm. and with where we are with technologies today and with sensing capability to look at people and give you feedback on what, what they're experiencing. What about creating a virtual clown doctor that can go in and help children or people in depression or other things where, sure. I mean, the AI in a few years is going to be so powerful that it can do a lot of analysis. You can create an avatar that, the child or the adult is comfortable with and you can go help them perhaps find a way out of the darkness into the light using laughter and humor and clowning and totally I mean, totally could happen you know and that's for everybody you know the adults you know occasionally we would go into the adult area adult part for you know one of our staff members perhaps or a nurse would be a patient something and we go over and see them and clown with them and Man, everybody lit up. Like, who is it? What is this? You know, here come the clowns in full lab coats and looking like doctors, but goofballs. And yeah, who doesn't feel better after a good laugh? Right? Exactly. Just just seeing that contrast, you know, you can't ask for a better, you know, straight person than the hospital. There's rules, regulations, and all of this procedures and egos. And man, here it's just easy to clown in a hospital because you're rupturing 
that that hierarchy and that system. But I think it totally can. You know, as you were talking though, I, and I guess this gets into the haptics, right? How haptics evolve. But I remember uh, one time the father, we were coming around, we we're starting rounds and we we're going up to the ICU and we'd start with the ICU and that's, that's the hard stuff, you know? I mean, you'd see children, babies with their chests open and machines in there and you see kids fighting for their lives and parents just have no control beside themselves. But I remember us coming out, we were going into the, we were just about to enter ICU and there was a father who was looking out the window and gripping the railing. I mean, white knuckling the railing, trying to just hold himself together. And we saw him and he looked at us and he, he's like, I don't have, I don't have any control. I don't know what to do. I can't help. I can't help. I can't, I don't know if I can save. Him. I mean, he was just didn't know what to do. And my friend went up and my partner and friend and Dan put a hand on his heart and a hand on his back. And he took a deep breath in and went, and he compressed that. Mm -hmm. And the man just started, he collapsed and started crying and we held him for about 10 minutes while he wept uncontrollably because he didn't, his son was fighting for his life. But it was that touch. It was that ability to see and read the body language and see in his eyes. This man needs touch, but he needs to breathe. Mm -hmm. He needs to let this go and move through him. And I see it as clear as a day. And that this is 17 years ago, probably about now, but I can see it as clear. I see the sunlight coming through the windows. I see the color of the tile floor. I see that man's eyes and face. It's just imprinted in me. And his, I can feel him. If I, if I pull my body, I can feel his weight because we were literally holding him up as he was just collapsed. And to that I go, can the technology do that? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe we'll create a chair. Maybe it'll create something. But I hope we never lose that. I hope we never go so far away from tech into technology that we lose the touch because that sense of touch is so important. So where again, that balance, where is that balance? And, and again, maybe haptics will, technology will evolve so much that that haptic touch will be absolutely the equivalent of if we were person to person so that I can hug you in the metaverse I can hold you while you're grieving and just be there. And you can feel that. You can feel that embrace, that compression, right? So yes, will it get there one day? I'm sure it will, look at it. I mean, for us to say, no, that's me sticking my feet in the sand and burying my head in the sand and saying no, because I'm scared.
Some of it scares me. It should scare us. It's important to be scared because that makes us look at the balance. If we say we're not scared, well, that's, that's not being human and that's not going about this right. And we need to look at, we need to go into that fear. Just like Luke did, see, it all comes back to Star Wars, just like Luke did, face the fear and look at it and find the balance. And um, so, yeah, it will, it inevitably will. You just look at all these pieces of the puzzle and of course we're gonna go there. What will it look like? I have no idea. What will be the technology? I have no clue, but it'll, it'll be there. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank you, Paul, so much for your time and your insights. We've had some great conversations today. I'm sure uh, it's inspired our audience to face their fears, to become more curious about the technologies that are reshaping the universe in which we live and play. And um, how can um, our, our guests follow what you're doing with the metaverse and your productions? How can they find mm -hmm. Paul Kalina and, and what he's up to? So you can you can go to uh, all our, oh, I got to remember all the hashtags and everything that we have, but we'll be on Instagram, Media Clown. If you look for Media Clown. Okay. On Instagram, you can go to the University of Iowa's website. We'll have stuff on there. Uh, Dan Fine and Paul Kalina are the two professors on the University of Iowa that are doing that work. Um, and, you know, if you can't find us, just email me at, at my university email address, which is paul-kalina at uiowa.edu. And uh, we'd love to talk. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, um, we'll post something in the trailer with your hashtags and your email address so Great. people um, can see it and follow up. And once again, Paul, this has been fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on the Ampex podcast. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure not to miss future episodes and please rate the show wherever you get your podcast. Thanks to our awesome production team, Lindsay Soderberg, social and digital marketing, Taylor Higgins, video production, and Seth Nielsen, marketing. See you next time.